Hello, and welcome to The Twelfth Story, a podcast from the Mercantile Library in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you are listening to this, you've probably found us because you are either a member or an admirer of the Mercantile Library, the literary center of Cincinnati. I suppose if you are listening and you are not in either of those two categories, you are just a very dedicated podcast listener. Either way, we are glad you are with us and hope you will also stop in to see us in person soon. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Kate Atkinson's latest, A God in Ruins. Before we begin, a warning. If you haven't read this book and you want to avoid spoilers and a discussion about the ending of this book, you should probably press stop right now. We won't always spoil a book when we discuss it here on The 12th Story, but it'd be close to impossible to fully process this book without reviewing the ending. Kate Atkinson is an author of 10 books, including the marvelous Case Histories Mysteries, featuring Jackson Brody, and, the most, and most recently, the incredible Life After Life. Life After Life is the story of Ursula Todd, who keeps dying and reliving her life over and over again throughout an amazing 500-page novel. The book was inventive and touching, and beyond just being a wonderful story, it's a look at how people in England lived through World War I and World War II and the aftermath. A God in Ruins has been called a companion novel to Life After Life and features Ursula's little, little brother, Teddy, a war hero. The book is the story of Teddy's life. In both novels, Atkinson plays with time. In Life After Life, we cover a span of decades as Ursula's life inches forward through the novel with flashbacks and flash forwards. In A God in Ruins, Atkinson again whisks a reader through time and maybe even at a more brisk pace. The reader moves from 1980 to the 1920s in a span of pages. And again, Atkinson isn't just telling us a story, she's reflecting on broader themes. We hope to talk about all of this in the next 30 minutes or so here on The Twelfth Story. I'm Brendan Call, a board member of the Mercantile Library, and I'm joined today uh, by Deborah Ginocchio, also a Mercantile Library board member. Hi. And Cedric Rose, the librarian here at the Mercantile Library. Hello. And Albert Pyle, the soon-to-be-retiring executive director of the library. We're glad to have all of you here, and especially Albert, who we convinced should record a few podcasts before he officially leaves the building. So thank you. Albert, I'll begin with you. I know that Atkinson is one of your favorite authors, perhaps your greatest regret of a speaker who has not yet uh, arrived at the library to address our membership, and I know you've read many of her books. Where does A God in Ruins stack up for you, and what was your general impression of the book? I was um, sucked in from, like, the first page. Uh, it is, if that's the question, it was, um, I had read, she is, I, I I, I, Brenda's quite correct. She is a favorite of mine, no doubt about it. I, I love her detective novels. I really loved um, Life After Life and pushed it on everybody. Uh, uh, and In including me, I think. Yeah. I, I probably did. Me too. Yeah. Uh, and um, then when this, when this came into the house, house I just uh, snapped it up. I, have to, I forget whether somebody got it before I did, which would be most unfair. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I, it was one of these cases where, where I read it and read it and read it and put it down and thought, how is life going to go on now that I have finished this book? Uh, and I still sort of feel that way. She said, uh, it, it is in fact a companion to life after life. Uh, it does deal with the same enchanting family, I have to say. I'm sucked in by 
the uh, Todds. And um, would you think that the do you think that the Todds from the first book, the Life After Life, are more enchanting than the family as a whole in this book? Well, you see more of them in the first book, I guess. I mean, this is this is this is Teddy centered and. Um, uh, Teddy is beyond, by the way, beyond being a war hero. He's RAF. He is, he is a uh, in the worst of the sky battles. Um, so to ask the question again, you know, do it. It's got. It does bring in new characters. Teddy has um, what's probably the, the most awful daughter uh, <laughs> <laughs> put on and put in print uh, in this decade. Uh, she wasn't in the other book, uh, and his children uh, were not in the other book. So and it's called a companion novel uh, and, and not a sequel, and, and part of that is because the... Um, they both go hopping all over time. They yeah. both hop all over time, which I, I have to admit I found more difficult in this book because at least in the first book you knew that she was going to die and restart, and it, it the, there were these trigger words... Uh, what was it? Dark darkness comes at the end uh, in life after life. What was the uh, every time Ursula died in life after life, she repeated the same sentence at the end yeah. of the chapter, and Something then you like knew that. you were basically it, starting yeah. darkness. Although I, I have to confess, it took me far too long to catch on to what was going <laughs> on. <laughs> I, I had the same experience in I life after life. Uh, I, hadn't, I haven't read that one, but I found this one very disorienting. This one was in, this one was far more. I mean, you'll pick up life after life and think it's a breeze. Bec this one was all over the place because. You would start a chapter, and it would say 1947 at the beginning. But in that chapter, you would you would not just remain in 1947. You would go other places in time about Teddy's life. It, it was it was difficult to keep track of uh, where where you were. That said, yeah. it, I mean it's so impressive that she pulls this off. Um, just the way that the novel is tied together, the way that it reaches out and with these lateral connections into. English and American literature, I think Dickinson shows up quite a bit. Um, it, it had me going and picking up Keats off my bookshelf, you know, really touching on a lot of these things. Um, the repetition, though, I didn't necessarily find that terribly effective. There were times, and I, I feel this came up in some of the reviews of the book, um, that it might not have been as tight as Life After Life. Again, I haven't read that, so I shouldn't even be speaking about that right now. But, um, you know, I definitely cried uh, twice, I think, while in I was reading this book. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Were tears shed by you as well? Oh, yeah. Maybe I need to work on my emotional <laughs> connection to novels. I, I didn't shed tear, but it was the, the, we'll get to the ending in a minute, but it was, it, the ending, I assume, is one of the places where you cried. Cause I cried at the end. I can't, brutal. I think that's the only place I cried, but there were other places that just, I would just intake breath. It was just like, <gasps> there was just the way she would set a scene and what the people would say and how you would understand so much about the person just in a quip that they would make. It was just, <laughs> it's just stunning how artful the writing is. I mean, artful's not the right word. That sounds a little twee or something. But I mean, she, she's just so good. Yeah. She is one of those people who makes you feel like she's, I mean, uh, my reaction is that she's been rummaging in my drawers. How did she get in there? What did she, what, you know, how does she know that? Um, just time and again, I mean, her take on things and people and so forth. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you that I felt like that the shifts in time at 
and um, the, the kind of the bouncing around and some of the reputi rep repetition could be frustrating at times. And then, my, but my other feeling about it, you know, two feelings in the same brain were that she is such a virtuoso with her writing that she um, is showing off her amazing talents, but not doing it in a way to hit you over. I mean, sh this, she's an amazing, every word I feel is placed on the page exactly where it is supposed to be and exactly where she, w she wants it to be. I think that's the mark of a, you know, tremendous writer. She's not just filling the pages. I mean, this is a, this is a, a masterpiece in terms of every sentence connecting with the, you know, previous parts of the book. Don't let be that very put you off the book, though, because... Yeah. <laughs> right, I but mean, I mean, this would be a very difficult... I mean, think about how difficult it would be. It's difficult to write any book. Think about how difficult it would be to piece this book together uh, the way she does. Well, I, we, we talked about, um, in one of the other discussion books, of groups at the library, how she puts together the, the, detective, the detective novels and how she pieces that together. And I guess in a sense it's reverse engineered. She knows how it's gonna end and then she has to go back and diagram the whole thing, how this is gonna happen here and this has to happen then. And I read that she did Life After Life as kind of a break from that, to give herself a mental break so she didn't have to have everything end up with the crime being solved. Um, but this is even, to me, more of a virtuoso because it's, it's, it's got a broader human dimension and she can plumb the depths of people's feelings and the historical context. She's got a lot more leeway to that. And I think as much as I liked, loved Life After Life, I thought this book was just tour de force. I can't understand how anybody can be that smart and that talented and, and then put it all in a book. And the sources at the end are impressive. I mean, you sort of want to oh, yes. embark on, you know, uh, re-educating yourself on this time period. Um, the I mean, she, the author's note is as much of a part of this book as, you know, sometimes it's just, let me tell you what I was thinking about when I was writing the book. I feel like you have to read her author's note at the end of this book. I have a question for Albert, I have to say. Albert, I, I never thought of you as a metafiction kind of a guy. I mean, but you're obviously all right with the metafictional aspect of this book. You're going to have to explain to me What's what metafiction, metafiction is. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, you. You, get to the end of the, you get to the end of the novel and it sort of says, this is a fiction. You know, there, it's, there's, instead of this suspension of disbelief, it's the opposite of that. And I mean, I, it ties in very elegantly with these um, themes that run through the whole book, you know, the relationship, art and war and the relationship, relationships between the two. Um, but it's very literary. I'm, I'm bringing this up because you said, don't let this put you off the well, book earlier. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm always put off by, I mean, by somebody, if somebody's got a reputation as a magnificent writer, uh, and, and the writing is so beautiful, then I, I, that's a strike against them. Uh, which is, I know, very perverse of me. I, because I think, I think this, when I look back on it, well, yes, this is, this is beautiful writing, but it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful mind on the page, for heaven's sake. It's, uh, I, you don't, I don't think, and then I, I say all that, and then I hit a piece of writing like this, which I'm going to make everybody listen to, um, the short version. Uh, this is about Teddy, uh, who, 
was, by the way, did you, were you uncomfortable with, it, with he was his mother's favorite. Um, and that's always well, that's so much that's, about that's Sylvie. That's shocking too. to me. I know, Sylvie is Sylvie shocking. Sylvie is shocking. Yeah, his mother. <laughs> there was not enough Sylvie in this book, though, I felt. There was plenty of Sylvie I in the other book. I there was just yes. the right amount, though. You knew a lot about Sylvie, just from the little uh, bit, from what other people said. Uh, his his uh, wife, Nan Nancy is his wife. She says, you have a pagan soul, Nancy had once <laughs> told him, but he didn't agree. He had the soul of a country parson who had lost his faith. <laughs> talk about moments when you start crying. <laughs> oh God. So let's talk about Teddy then for a while and what you've, you've, I mean, she's writing about a man and this is the story of a man until the end when it becomes very meta, but, um, he, he and the story of man, I mean, and there's this fall from grace thing. Throughout. Yeah, absolutely. The, the fall was quite literal there at the mm -hmm. end when his plane crashes into the ocean, but, um, you know, he, he lived at times in a life that, w you know, he, like you said, he was in the RAF and he was a, a war hero and a, a remarkable person. And but as the novel went on, he becomes, um, I, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, he becomes quite an ordinary man living a life and raising a child who is not perfect and, you know, a, a one grandchild who is kind of off the reservation and another one who is kind of his, you know, made in his... Um, I guess. Uh, so, what wh what was your do you, do you how do what do you walk away thinking about Teddy? Well, I I, I have here in front of me a, a, the a Telegraph review where um, God in ruins is among other things a wholehearted, perhaps even rather subversive celebration of such resolutely unfashionable qualities as choosing duty over self fulfillment and emotional restraint over causing distress to others. Oh, for heaven's sake, Dad, Viola, that's his awful daughter, says to Teddy in his later life, how can you think such crap? Do you honestly think that the world was a better place when men kept their feelings hidden? Yes, Teddy replies. <laughs> 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 well, th I mean, that's the kind of thing that really kept me going. I don't know. He doesn't, um, he, he does take a lot of it in. I mean, he is not, you know, he's careful with his words and there are not a long there's not a long uh, not not many long uh, you know moments when Teddy is talking in the book it's usually him responding to others but it's I think he's a hero in so many small ways like he so understands his grandson the one he described as being off the reservation when he goes to save them or retrieve them from their they're staying at the, the parents of their father, and um, they're just wretched people. They they don't they can't stand the children, and and he's had this awful incident there, and they think he's purposefully insulted them, and he understands immediately. Just he enters on the scene without having been there. And he understands immediately what must have happened, and he just whisks them away, and takes care of them, and they love him, and um, I mean that. That kind of insight and, and um, helpfulness, it's just, I think that is heroic in that small, everyday way. I mean, he saved these children from people who were pretty nasty to them. Yes. I, I thought it was incredible, because I did have to go back and read the beginning of the book, and you, the way that she plots Teddy's character, and you just, you walk away from the book having seen this 
epic development of somebody who ultimately, because of the horrors of war, resolves to be ki kind always. And I thought that was just a beautiful message for the book. But balancing that and further um, providing a foil to it or a foil to Teddy, she writes awful people so well. I mean, with such yes. humor, I just loved, I mean. Viola. You, ultimately, yeah, you know, you actually Viola becomes less awful, I thought. But even the, yeah, the evil step family, not they weren't the step family, but you know, I mean, sometimes she see, comes off as harsh, but it's funny and very real. There was a very rare slip, or I, I thought it was a slip, when she said that Sylvie had no sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, and there's actually, Sylvia is, is Teddy's mother and a main character in uh, Life After Life and pretty fascinating. Uh, but she, there is example, example after example through the book of just zingers that she drops, uh, not necessarily <laughs> gags, but, but she says funny things about people. And Biting wit. Yes. She could be the Maggie Smith Dowager aunt. Yep you know, 40 years earlier. Yeah. She's just, you know, she just, she's a snob and an elitist, too. Yeah. But going back to what you're talking about Viola, it dawned on me as I was rereading the book that there's two writers, two women writers in the book. There's Izzy, Izzy. who we start out, I think in the first book, you weren't supposed to like her. And then when I started rereading the book, I think Izzy might be one of my favorite characters. She's really wonderful. And then Viola, of course, turns out to be a writer. Yes. So it's interesting that Kate Atkinson has portrayed the woman writer as a, the most wretched person in the book. Um, you know, and that goes back, I don't know. Can somebody explain to me <laughs> the, the final, the, it ends with an adventure, one of Archie's adventures, written by Izzy, I would assume. Yes. yes. This, this was a hard part for me to, I'm so glad you asked this question, because I was, you know, I went back and after I finished the book, I went back and reread the first couple of chapters, and you pick up on things that make a little bit more sense than at the end. But that I struggled with the Archie. Augustus. The Augustus. Augustus. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Maybe my, one of my the find if there really were Augustus books. I love the Augustus book. She <laughs> said she based it on something else. It, uh, yeah, uh, on somebody else's series. Uh, as to and as a final note, I'm sure that most readers will recognize which we obviously didn't because we're American, <laughs> that Augustus owes a debt to William Brown of just William fame. Oh, of course. Augustus is a poorly drawn character, a poorly drawn shade of William who remains for me one of the greatest fictional characters ever created. Richard Crompton, I salute you. Rich Mull Crompton, I salute you. Well, I've never heard. So why I do you think she did this in the book? Is that what you're asking? Was it a little pocket satire of the, the whole thing? I feel that it, at the end of the book she was even making fun of herself almost. Like... Viola character could have been a young Kate Atkinson. Maybe I'm not. I'm probably completely off base there. But the that final scene where it's um, it's sort of a stage production that they're go gone awry that mm -hmm. just is encapsulating all of military history from like from you know the Romans through across time. I I thought maybe she was just trying to end on a lighter note, maybe. Which are you saying is the ending? The Adventures of Augustus? Or yes. Yeah, and we're chatting about that. Well, I don't have the book in front of me. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, that is the last part of the book and then goes into author's note. Um, she, she, I mean, the, the final words of the book, I mean, you're, you're reading about Augustus and it cuts off 
with, with stop with, reading with yes i mean really i mean <laughs> you're talking about reading. meta meta you know right it's very meta. teddy says <laughs> oh do stop and ursula says he's nothing like you you know talking about augustus and that's the whole premise of augustus is that it's based on teddy and teddy oh. says i know that but please stop reading now and that's the end <laughs> of the novel which is a it was a nice way to end the book. I kind of like lovely that. way to end the book. Yeah, yeah it kind of brought you, gave you Teddy back. <laughs> and yes. by the way, Augustus isn't so terrible. It's just terrible to Teddy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very much of its time, uh, and and knowing that Izzy wrote it, it's so Izzy, who is I agree with Deborah, is just one of the characters that you I think you wind up loving because she's she's she after all has a quad de guerre. She's got a chronic air, she's lost a child, and she sat by the bedside of her fiancé. Two, two fiancés. Two fiancés, but one she really loved, and she sat by his bedside in a casualty hospital and held his hand as he died. And then she gives up marriage to somebody who turns out to be a very wealthy guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. she, but she right. didn't think she could ever love anyone again. Yeah. And... Um, she, she's, she is very sympathetic, even though still, I think... We don't like her to start with because Sylvie doesn't like her. Right. And then when we realize that <laughs> Sylvie is just, Sylvie's just kind of a snob. She's hard on people. She's <laughs> hard on people. And then when she talks about the book of Augustus and, she's, and Sylvie, or Izzy is saying, well, you know, it's art. And Sylvie said, Augustus is art? She says, yes, it's art. If it gives people pleasure, it's art. And Sylvie will have none of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, something a little weird too that she's she's mining her nephew's life for this for material. Which, sorry, Albert. You do, but you do wind up <laughs> yeah, mining his life. That's something you have poets to. Poets are accused of yeah, doing peop shamelessly. People do it all the time. I, well, I just feel that um, th this book is very transparent in in the in its own process. I think, and nobody wants to talk about metafiction outside of master's workshops. The reason I think it actually works. In this book, is not obnoxious, is because the very, the quote-unquote metaphysical fictional aspects of it, actually connect very well with reality, with the fact that everybody has ancestors that fought in wars that survived, and it, this book makes you stop and think, wow, you know, it makes you suddenly appreciate reality. It's a fiction that makes you appreciate the fact that you're here, which is, you don't run into many books like that. Yeah. That's terrific. That's I think that's exactly right. Very well said. My I I have a grandfather who flew on Lancasters, and then after the war became an accountant. Didn't do anything else the rest of his life. He <laughs> clearly craved normalcy. So I just I, it definitely resonated with me. That the whole British stiff upper lip thing and never talking about very your true. emotions. It was very true. It's um. So we're, we're into the ending now. We are, we are talking about the ending at the end of the novel. Um, Having skipped over the entire second world <laughs> war. <laughs> Should we go back to the, do you want to go back to the war? You can skip around as much as you want. Since we're talking about this particular book, we can just bounce around yeah. in time yeah. and go back and forth throughout the books. Yes. That's what she did to us. Yeah. No need to be linear here. <laughs> There's no, no need to be linear here. So it, it, near the end of the book, the, uh, I mean, We've been talking about this, and if you've if you've if you're listening and you've you've read this, you know what happens. If you don't plan to read this and you're just listening to us, the 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 book it, bec it becomes uh, evident at the book that uh, Teddy actually died in the war, 
and that the whole life that you had just read about was, in fact, half the life that you had read about. Because his, his life after the war. Yeah. That's right. So his his awful daughter and his two grandchildren right. and the interaction. None of that ever happens, and uh, it, she she breaks it apart by having the five walls come down. Uh, and, and, and that that part of the book was masterful. I mean, you, yeah. there was almost music playing in my head when this was happening, <laughs> and she brought each wall down. Um, and it w that was a sad part of the book. It was mm -hmm. a sad part of the book. Um, but so at that at that point, you realize that all of the characters go away and are are vanish into into thin air. And it and that's that is quite an amazing thing that she did after she gets you so invested in all of this person's life and then she just takes it all away from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She even says poof. Um, I, I actually think, you know, they called it a companion novel, but I, I didn't think it was, uh, it, it, to me it felt as, um, sure, what's a word, but it, it did feel like a sequel and, and there was this, what's happening in this book is very similar to what was happening in Life After Life. It was these, in a sense, kind of imagined lives. And then she, at the very end of the book, even after she's torn down all these five walls, there's this interaction between Nancy and Ursula where they're walking through a field, and Nancy was wound up in the fictionalized life of Teddy's wife after mm -hmm. the war. But in this particular version, it's 1947, Teddy has just died, Nancy's heartbroken, she hasn't met her new particular husband yet, and she's basically crying on Ursula's shoulder, and Nancy says to Ursula, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder, she said about reincarnation. I know it's absurd, but wouldn't it be wonderful if Teddy came back at something else? Is that Skylark? And she goes on. And Ursula very firmly says, no, I believe we have just one life, and I believe that Teddy lived his perfectly. And I mean, that's just a, what, what she's doing to the reader, who has very likely read both of these books, is, is toying with us, yeah. in, in a sense. I, I thought that was just a terrific way to engage a reader and, and play with words and play with a story. I and say what you believe, too. Yeah. Well, I went, as I went back to, because I, I love this book. I closed it, and then I missed the people so badly, and then I ended up going back to reread it, um, which I didn't get very far on. But the part I did get far, I got as far as she's talking, uh, she being Izzy, she's talking about Augustus, and she's having that conversation with Teddy, and Teddy's a little annoyed at having to be talking to his goofy aunt. And um, she's reflecting on the fiance that she lost and how she's protective of Teddy. And um, she says in there that the writing fiction is an act of preservation and resurrection. So, you know, maybe the idea of writing the book about Teddy's life was a way of resurrecting this life that was cut short when he crashed into the ocean. And that the Augustus stories kept Teddy alive yeah. as a young boy. So as much as he you know, bristled at having his childhood co-opted, it did, it did make him alive to a lot of people. Absolutely true. When you just mentioned that um, she equates fiction with an act of preservation, it's very difficult not to sort of ask the question. So what is the author saying about the connection between art and war? And obviously, this book exists first and foremost to entertain its readers. But I still have that question in my mind. You know, you, you still sort of want to ask yourself, a lot of times when you read a 
an involved, rich novel. You want it to be meaningful. And I wonder if you guys have any feelings about the role of art, especially fictions, that are about something as serious as war. I mean, is there something that they do for us functionally? Do they help give us a conscience? Do the, the if you're a really, really good writer, which she is, it makes you, they, makes you understand war in a way that you haven't understood it. I mean, that's, that's uh, to me, that's what happens. Right. Uh, yeah. And she, I mean, she's not the only one who's written about second world. I mean, there are zillions of other books, and other books get it well. I think this gets it particularly well. Um, the interactions between him and his, uh, the, the people that he flew on the plane with, I thought, Oh, oh, yeah, the emotional yeah. connections. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a perspective on war that, like you were saying, I don't think I had read before, and I, I felt it felt very real. It, it didn't feel fictionalized. It felt like she was describing the interplay between young men who were scared out of their mind flying planes, yeah. trying to land. Flying big, know, clunky planes big. that don't do all that well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you... <laughs> I think that's the other thing that we read. We think of planes now, and you think of these like really tight Air Force, <laughs> you know, F-15s or whatever you would call them. And these were, these are like flying, you know, tractors. FedEx planes, yes. <laughs> tractors. That's exactly right. Yeah. But she describes that very well, and yeah. she describes the interaction between the individuals on the plane. I thought beautifully. And going back to Izzy, just I just I just want to say about Izzy and the Augustus section, which comes at the very end of the book. It. To me, that is is Kate Atkinson reminding us all that that authors <laughs> can only do so much. Uh, I mean, Teddy's very hard on Izzy because she's picking his brains and she gets everything wrong and so forth. And yet, when you read this little section, n she doesn't get everything wrong. <laughs> she gets she gets a bit of it or she gets enough of it right to make it work. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, if you ever set pen to paper, that's all you can ask for. <laughs> And she's, it's a little apology for the writer, I think. Uh, I don't know if that's metafiction said. I should. Don't test me on that. On the next podcast, said we'll be doing a solo lecture on metafiction. Tune in to the 13th story. She did, there was a, Albert, you read a part, and there's a part where she, again, she's, this is the same part where she's kind of kidnapped Teddy and She's trying to plumb his information to put it into the, the Augustus stories. And they're out in the field and says, she ripped a sleeve climbing over the stile and then managed to plunge one of her alligator-clad feet into a cow pat that would have been quite obvious to anyone else. She redeemed herself a little in Teddy's eyes by being admirably and carelessly cheerful about both mishaps. I expect, his mother said later, that she will simply throw the offending articles away. So in two sentences, you get her as kind of clumsy, but Teddy kind of admires her. And then you see that Sylvia, you get Sylvia's whole opinion about Izzy, and then you know about more about Sylvia. And it's just in two sentences. I mean, to me, that there's such a, it's so compact and so expansive. I just can't stand it. <laughs> and if you've been watching Families, you know that Sylvia is demonizing. <laughs> Izzy is her sister-in-law, and she's demonizing her sister-in-law. <laughs> and you've seen enough in, in real life. In as few words as possible. Yeah. Seen that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do we have an appetite for more Todd's? I mean. Oh, 
I just I, I should point out that the Todds, who are the family and thing, I, I, I thought it was very cool that she had in the beginning of her book, she had, there, there are three quotes which I always have trouble with, but she has, she has a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, Robert Baden-Pohl, uh, the Boy Scout person, and Sylvie Bearsford Todd, <laughs> one of her own creations. <laughs> That's right. The, the good manners are the yeah. armor one must don every morning. Yeah. That, that sort of quote is wonderful aspect, too, because her quote, you know, is obviously a key theme of the book. The purpose of art is to convey the truth of a thing, not to be the truth itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just Robert Baden-Powell comes in because I mean you get to because there's that awful bit about the fake or the the splinter. A Boy Scout group, <laughs> the Kibbo Kift. The you grew up in England. Did you? Did you? I never. I, did she make this up? Does anybody? No, did anybody I Google? Google? I didn't yeah. know what it was. No, it's a real it? splinter. It's a p sort of pacifist boy for people who thought <laughs> that the Boy Scouts were too militaristic, oh. particularly after the First World War. Uh, and so this Kibbo Kift was a uh, Boy Scout for pacifists and and uh, people who didn't want to be marching around in uniforms. It's, it's a, I mean, this is one of the many, 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 many funny things in the book that just get thrown in there. Uh, and yes, it was a real kibbo gift, <laughs> but the, the agony of the children in here who have to be in it is <laughs> hilarious. The book um, we've talked about at the end where she, she brings down the five walls and you realize that it was, the, it was Teddy's life imagined. Um, but at the same time she's doing that, she's, she's also describing his death. Uh, and so of, of the life that you've read about that went until he was in his 90s, I think, right? He was very old yeah. at the end of the book. Um, I thought she wrote about death in a very real fashion. And it was, if I mean, um, you know, I, I was thinking about my grandmother who died when she was 96, seven years old and sitting with her at the end in the room and the way she, Kate Atkinson wrote about Teddy dying in his 90s, I thought was incredible. I mean, she, I, I went, immediately went back to the room with my grandmother. It felt very real. It was heartbreaking because he, it was just an ordinary, it was, an, it was this ordinary life and she just kind of carefully whisked him away and it, I, th I thought um, there it, she also wrote about Nancy's death early in the book earlier in the book so I thought she the way she she wrote about something that's difficult to write about that a lot of people try to write about was incredibly um, authentic and real and, and she she writes about every every form of death I mean from from Ted and Nancy from Nancy's death which is probably one of the most brutal parts of the book I thought yeah um, but I mean, of course, all of the people dying in the war, and I, I, I think, so, so Ted actually died when he ditched, when they ditched right. into the North Sea, but we see this scene where he doesn't die, and they're floating in the North Sea based on, according to the author, you know, um, some research he did, and this, the man who later says that Ted is the best, per, the best officer he ever knew uh, he watches him slip into the water, and then um, I, I just thought, thought this was virtuoso, and says something um, like, "That's it then," or "No, good luck." Good luck to you then. Good luck. And then, so then Ted goes, and he's uh, um, basically saying goodbye for him uh, to his um, 
I don't know if it was his wife. That's right. He goes back to see the family. Was it the fiance? Yeah. Or, or maybe she'd been a wife. This she is the fiance yeah. of the person who, f who who died in the plane crash. Yeah, and and as he walks away, he says the exact you know is essentially extending the voice of his uh, his lost crew member. I just thought that was so sh economical, but so perfect at the same time. Yes. I mean, you kind of said it earlier. There were times where you just close the chapter. Of you know, you have to stop reading for the night, or you get to an especially powerful paragraph and just go, oof, you know, like she just, she, she's like punching you in the belly, just saying, and t yeah, twisting it a little mm -hmm. bit. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. She's, it's, it's really tremendous. It's, it seems to me everybody at the table is um, highly fond of this book. I started to say, <laughs> do you, do, I mean, do you have an appetite for more Todd's if she chose to write, if, <laughs> if she chose to, uh, Write a third companion novel. Um, I certainly would. Who would you read more? Who would you want to read more about? More Izzy? Is it? Is it? Uh, or did we have enough of her? Or I don't know. I think Izzy. Although she, I think she had a pretty great send off in this book. I mean, yeah. it, she and she does have sort of the. She kind of. She's carefully reserved. I mean, they're they're yeah, they're, they're she's kind of a bunch of sisters. Out. There are many sisters as a Midford novel, so she's got. Uh, if you if she wants to do another book, she's got plenty to draw on between the the between Fox Corner and uh, Jack Dawes. Yeah, Jack Dawes. <laughs> well, there but was speaking of there was one piece at the beginning of the book. Speaking of these these uh, individuals, that I felt was totally out of place in the novel, or I, I just didn't see the relevance because she put it out there and then it went away, and it was the. Uh, almost affair at the beginning with that Sylvie, um, I guess Sylvie almost had an affair. Sylvie almost has an affair and but Hugh then almost Hugh def But Hugh did, I think, it seemed like, and then the second, it didn't happen the second time around, but it, he had an affair with the, the mother of, or was going to have an affair with the mother of the person that Teddy eventually married. But he's overwhelmed married. by the son of They make a pass They make a pass. They both made it, but it did, I didn't see the, neither one of those characters were Incredibly important to the novel. It, they didn't. It didn't have much. It didn't come. She didn't come back to it ever later on. It was just. It, it just felt like it was just there. Well, it sets up this, the question of fidelity, which becomes important later when Nancy is hiding her cancer from Ted. Right? Do I have the names right here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, to me, I felt that even, you know, Sunny practicing. Uh, yoga in it wasn't Thailand, was it? But I sort of wondered what the I felt that you could have edited that from the book and the book still would have stood. And again, I saw reviews where people said that they had the same reaction but that this book transcended that because it's such a tapestry, I guess hmm. that's so well connected. Um you can sort of still make an argument for just about anything, even though if you were to miss a few pages, you would perhaps not find yourself scratching your head. So more Todd's. Highly recommended the book. Any final thoughts on A God in Ruins? Well, I'm obviously going to go back and read Life After Life. And Albert, um, if I to embark on case, any of the case histories. I guess I just begin at the beginning, right? And yeah. Okay. Just, yes. Thanks, Albert. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. 
<laughs> I, I, the case histories, I, I would agree. I, I, did two, I read two out of the three. The first one is, is, is tremendous, and it, I, I tired after a while, but I, I think you'd like the first one. It'll be interesting to hear your reaction reading Life After Life after God and Ruins. Yeah, yeah. Deborah, final thoughts on God I was just Ruins? thinking, talking about the case histories, there were a couple points in A God and Ruins where she sort of sets up something on one page, and then it re reoccurs about 10 pages later, where Teddy mistakes the word jaunty alouetta. He thought <laughs> the word was jaunty, and then after- As we all did. As we all did. <laughs> I, that's where I thought, how did they know? I thought, and then after Hugh has this attempted, but then thwarted, rendezvous in the greenhouse with Nancy's mother, he goes home and he says, I felt a little jaunty. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, it, and that to me is like the mark of a mystery writer, where you put it out there in chapter one, and then you round back on it in chapter four. And then to me, it's just sort of the mark, again, of this virtuoso That's writer. a great point. The, the, the mi there, are, there are so many characteristics of a mystery novel in both this and in Life After Life, but no one really calls these mystery novels. Yeah. But that's, that's very true. Albert? Um, I say that Kate Atkinson is uh, one for all of us who went to Red Brick Universities. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and she can turn out this stuff. And I say more power to her. She's great. Well, thank you all for joining us today, Albert and Deborah and Cedric. Uh, this has been the 12th story. Uh, stay tuned. Make sure you hit subscribe on your uh, podcast app or podcast reader. And uh, stay in touch with the Mercantile Library, and we will let you know when Kate Atkinson will be appearing at our wonderful institution. Have a good day. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs>